Hey, Proximity Church, so great to be able to connect with you. I wish that we were able to be together face to face. It wasn't possible this time, praying that soon we'll be able to do that. But loads of greetings from sunny south coast of England. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Joe Gisby. Um, I have the amazing privilege of working as part of the leadership team of Aaron Church down on the south coast with Becca Jupp. And I also have the privilege of leading Links International, who I know that many of you have journeyed with us for many, many years, and we are so, so grateful. Links is all about confronting poverty, creating potential, connecting people around the world. We work to the five areas of faith, health, business, education, and justice. This has been an incredible time during this whole season of the pandemic. We've seen the issues around the world ramped up beyond anything that we could have imagined. It's just accentuated all of the issues that our partners face with regards to poverty, healthcare, all of the things that we, that's our bread and butter that we get involved in has really been hit by this time. And, um, as an organisation, we've responded in all kinds of different ways, from providing food and aid and relief to hundreds of thousands of families, BPE equipment and um, sensitisation to help people avoid getting COVID in the first place. Uh, none of it would be possible if it wasn't for your generosity, your prayers, you standing with us. And so before anything else, I just want to say a massive thank you. Thank you so much. Proximity Church, thank you so much for uh, the way that you love us and stand with us. And so thank you. Really, really appreciate it. Also, have the amazing privilege of being married to Carolina. We have four kids who uh, keep us busy. Some of you will have met some of my kids when I've been up in the past. Um, they're all doing really, really great. And we look forward to just being able to hang out with you guys again soon, whether it's there or here or at wildfires or one of the one of the things that we're going to be finally able to do again soon so just so so great to be able to connect so today i i know you guys have been going through the um the amazing notes from alan emerson and it falls on me today to look at the part of the jesus story that focuses in on jesus's death and resurrection holy week the passion week we call it starting with the triumph a triumphal entry into Jerusalem where the people essentially choose the lamb that they are going to slaughter for the Passover and the crowds cry out Hoshana, Hoshana, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and then that process that goes through the, the Last Supper, the Jewish Passover, say the meal and all of the amazing things that, that we could focus in on with that. Jesus' moment in the Garden of Gethsemane and then ultimately the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now, there is no way that I can cover all of that epic crescendo to the story of of Jesus. There's no way that I could cover all of that. So we're really going to drill in on part of it. Needless to say, we have to understand that the Bible is an overarching narrative where everything either points to Jesus or points from Jesus. Now, it's not as easy to just say all of the Old Testament points to Jesus, all the New Testament points from him, because we know full well there are elements of the Old Testament that are that are still to be fulfilled. We know that there are many times in the New Testament that it is unpicking things from the Old Testament. But 
the center, the object, the, the, uh, the, the, the essential for us to understand is that it is all about Jesus. It is that Sunday school answer to the question, Jesus. Jesus is what the whole narrative is about, a relationship with Jesus, a knowing of Jesus. In our kind of culture, we love to get head knowledge. We love information. But this this thing was never about information. It's about revelation. It's about a revealing of relationship with the Son of God, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, and coming into that kind of knowledge. The Hebrew word is the word yada. And it's the kind of knowing that my wife and I have with each other you know my wife can look at me from across the room and I know if I'm in trouble because I've said something I shouldn't have said or I know that you know maybe she's thinking about something else so it's that kind of knowing now you could you could tell me today that I don't know your favorite footballer you could say to me oh my favorite footballer is Cristiano Ronaldo and depending on who you are right now you're either booing or cheering but you could say to me I have read every article about Cristiano Ronaldo I know uh, his shoe size I know everything about him but if I was to say to you oh, do you do you know him do you have a relationship do you know what what makes him angry what makes him tick what makes him laugh do you know you you'd have to say no no I don't I don't know him and we're called into a knowing with God, into a depth of relationship. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So as we look at the life of Jesus, the veil comes away, the layers are removed, and we begin to see the beauty of Almighty God. I want to talk to you today a little bit about something that I really felt God put on my heart. And I really felt like God told me to focus in on this part of the story. And so today what I want to talk about is this idea of power under pressure, power under pressure. And we're going to jump right into the scripture. So if you've got your Bible, great. Grab a hold of that. Grab a hold of your device and get it up on you version or whatever. I'm going to uh, bring it up here on the screen. So don't worry if you haven't got it. But I'm going to go from Mark. 14, verse 32 to 38. It says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep Watch. First of all, isn't that amazing that Jesus, the son of almighty God, came to a point where he was so overwhelmed, so uh, weighed down with this moment that he was desperate to escape from it. Have you ever been in that place where you felt like you would do anything to escape the moment, to escape what is coming, that it just feels too heavy to handle it, too heavy to carry? I know many of us have felt in that place over this season we felt like it is just too much too much and jesus is pouring his soul out to his father and we see we're getting a glimpse into the humanity of jesus he didn't he he wasn't free from all of those things that we feel he was he he still felt that in fact the bible says that he was tempted in every way as we are tempted and yet he didn't succumb to 
sin, but that didn't make it easy. It wasn't a it wasn't a walk in the park for Jesus. And this is a moment where we see just how heavy it got at times. He goes on and he says, it says, going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, dad, father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Can you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Power of pressure. The power of pressure. Lord God, we just come before you right now. We, we come before your word. We ask you, God, that you would open up our hearts. Jesus, we believe that your word has the power to divide between soul and spirit, between that place of our mind, our will, our emotions and the spirit place where life really comes from. God, we ask that you would cut right into the middle. You search out the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. God, we believe that your power, the entrance of your word brings light. We believe that you confirm your word with signs and wonders following. We believe that when your word comes on the scene, you bring healing, you bring deliverance, you bring restoration. So, God, I pray that you put me on like a coat and that you would silence what's my words, what's just from me, so that you can speak. Word of God, here we are. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit would have to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Pressure. This has been a time of so much pressure. How, how do you handle pressure? Is my question before anything else. I mean, as a leader, and I know for many of you, there are all kinds of things that, that pile the pressure on. Goodness me, kids, kids clubs, um, school, all of the pressure that came from homeschooling. I know many people just wanted to run for the hills. It was so much pressure uh, in, in such a short amount of, of time. And pressure affects all of us. We all have the pressure. Sometimes it's self-imposed. Sometimes we go on Instagram and we look at everybody else's feed and we see their carefully curated lives and we put pressure on ourselves thinking that we need to somehow live up to an image that is being given to us, which is anything but real. They should rename the reels on Instagram. They should call them un-R-E-A-L opposed to R-E-E-L. They're people that are giving an image that they want you to see, right? And But we put pressure on ourselves thinking, well, I must not be a good enough dad. I must not be a good enough mom. I must not be because I'm not living up to this image. And so pressure comes upon us. I decided really early on in my walk with Jesus and as a leader of a church and as a uh, leader of an organization that I didn't want to just start well. I want to finish well. I want to get to the end of the race. And I want I want to know that I like like Paul says, I've fought the good fight. I have ran the race and and, and know that I've given my all. I don't want to just start out well. I don't want to shoot out of the stall and 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 lose um, my energy because it, how many of you know this is a marathon? It isn't a sprint. And tragically, we see so many 
lives that have crashed and burned because of a lack of pacing and a lack of ability to be able to stay firm in what they believe and to ensure that the bases are covered, to make sure that we're not opening ourselves up to vulnerability and the schemes of the enemy. I want to end my days more in love with my wife than ever, uh, faithful as a dad, encouraging and lifting his kids up to go on beyond anything that I could do, uh, seeing my church and, uh, and, and links and all of the things that I have the privilege of being involved in going much further than I could ever carry them in my own strength. And so I need to manage the pressure. And so I'm always like, I'm, I'm always asking people, you know, how was the secret? How have you done it? Particularly when I find people who have got to the end of their lives and they are still burning brightly for Jesus. They're still on fire. They are still uh, they're, they're still faithful to their families. And I have a number of really great heroes in my life that I, I have the privilege of being able to talk to them about those kind of things. And I remember talking to one of one of my uh, one of my heroes and saying, you know, how, how do you make how do you make sure that you keep yourself uh, in, in that in that place? And he said to me, he said to me, oh, you, you just have, you have to make sure that you you play a lot. And um, I thought he I thought he had misspoken or I'd misheard. And I said, do you mean pray a lot? You know, it's like kind of like, well, that's like the that's the obvious answer. Right. We just pray more than everything's going to be great. But he said, no, no, no. I, I meant play. You know, make sure that if you've come home from a heavy meeting or if it's been difficult, play with your kids. Play, you know, find time for the things that cause joy to come up in your spirit. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy, uh, when joy comes, everything else that seems so heavy and seems so burdensome suddenly kind of like loosens up. And uh, I, I have four amazing kids. I love them. Luke, Eliana, Zion and Seb are so much fun. There's never a dull moment. Um, they, they bring so much laughter into our household. But with three boys, you can imagine... They are like a whirlwind of energy. They love to wrestle. Often they love to wrestle with each other, which often ends uh, in tears. So I'm often saying to them, don't wrestle with each other. You can wrestle with me. And so we have great times wrestling and um, and and just letting them kind of use up their energy on bringing me down and like pinning me down and all of those kind of things. Now, Luca now is just about as tall as me. He's slightly off. He likes to think he's as tall as me. It's definitely not going to be very long. And and bless him, he, he's strong. I can't do what I used to do to him when he was younger. But I did say to him the other day, I was like, Luca, you know, no matter how big and strong you get, no matter what happens, you know, you're never going to be able to beat me. It was like, how, how so, Dad? And I was like, because I know what your pressure points are. I know exactly how to get you. Luca is extremely ticklish. I literally, I only have to kind of like come close to the back of his neck and he will fall to pieces. So there's pressure points that we can go to. And sometimes I'll be wrestling with him or doing something and he'll be like, that, that, no, you can't, don't, don't tickle me. That's not fair. That's cheating. And he'll sometimes say to me, how much pressure are you going to put on? And uh, I remember him saying that one time and thinking, oh my goodness, wouldn't we love to be able to say to God sometimes, how much pressure are you going to put 
on me? How much pressure is going to come in this particular season, in this particular moment? How much am I going to have to carry during this time? How much am I going to have to manage? God showed us the level of pressure associated with certain things we might think twice. If you knew the the level of pressure before you took on that particular role, maybe you never would have taken it on. If you knew the pressure of parenting, maybe you'd have remained celibate. I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong, I love my kids, but but we we step into so many things without knowing what the pressure is going to be like. And I believe this is intentional because if God showed us, there's no way that sometimes we would step out in faith into the things that he has called us to step out into. And so his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's not a floodlight that shows us the whole panorama ahead of us. It is enough for the next step. So like me, you've probably been disappointed if you've said to God, God, what is the level of pressure? that you're going to put on me in this particular season, or that I'm going to face just because of my own mistakes. And this is a moment in the life of Jesus where we see a beautiful picture of pressure and the capacity, the ability that pressure has to create something beautiful, to create rather than uh, rather than pressure, Rather than pressure stopping Jesus, pressure creates praise out of his soul. And so we're just going to jump into that story. So after the Passover meal, they would have made their way through the Kidron Valley out of Jerusalem. They would have walked down the uh, down the side of Mount Zion and then they would have walked up onto the Mount of Olives. And they would have come to uh, an olive grove much like this. You know, the olives in the Garden of Gethsemane today are many of them are over 2000 years old. So they would have been around at the time of Jesus, which is absolutely fascinating. And the Bible says that Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane. In Hebrew, that word is Gat Shemanim, Gat Shemanim. And uh, Gat Shemanim is essentially means a place of pressing or the oil press. Uh, It would be used uh, for lots of different places, not just for this particular place. It would have been used for other places of pressing. When you see in Hebrew a word that ends in I-M or O-T, generally, well, it always means that it's plural, either masculine or feminine. But then it's plural. So it's talking about a place of lots of pressing a place of lots of pressing. In these get they there would be a set up a little bit like this. So you can see there, you've got a stone structure and you've got another stone on top and a pole would be placed through this stone. It would be connected onto the back of a donkey and that donkey would walk around in a circle, essentially pr- putting pressure on the pulp, the olive pulp, so that as that pressure was put on the pulp, it would push all of the oil out and the oil would then uh, would, would then flow out into the vats. And the first pressing would be the pressing that would be used for perfume, for incense. Uh, it was the most precious, the most pure, the most beautiful. 
And then the second pressing would be the pressing that would be used for cooking and for um, for those kind of tasks and so on and so on until until the, the final pressing would be the pressing that would be used for machinery, for oiling things. And, and, and that would be what would happen at a Get Chamonix. It wouldn't just be olives. It would often be grapes as well and everything that that we get from grapes and th that they would use that there as well. They often have a large cave at these Gatchamanine places. And this is another form of how they would um, press the, the oil from the olives. They would put very, very large stones upon them. But these huge caves that like you can see in this particular image, when they weren't being used for when they weren't being used for, uh, for for production, they would be used as basically as kind of like makeshift bed and breakfast. This was like before Airbnb, you had Gatshamanines. You had these places where people would rock up to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage feasts, whether that was Passover, Pentecost, or whether that would be more recently, we just celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles and just before that Rosh Hashanah and the, uh, the, the the Jewish New Year and then the Feast of Trumpets. That's all just 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 happened. You'll see that in, in Israel, there's kind of like one section of feasts at the early harvest and one section at the latter harvest in the year. And the city would be flooded during these times with pilgrims from all over the Roman world. In fact, Josephus says that at the time of Pentecost or at the time of Passover, the city could swell to around a million inhabitants. Now, whether that is exaggerated or not, needless to say, the city would be overflowing with people during this time. And so these places would become these kind of like hotel rooms. And so the disciples have had this incredible Passover meal. They drunk a lot of wine. You drink four glasses of wine throughout the Passover meal, and they're all massively significant. We don't have time to go into the details, but they would have drunk a lot of wine. They were tired. They were heavy. Um, Orthodox Jewish people, even today, will then pray throughout the night. It's one of the few nights in the year when they will, when they'll, they'll do that 24 seven prayer room through the night. And, um, they're heavy and they, they go out to this place and Jesus is feeling the weight of what he knows is about to come. And he says to them, watch and pray with me. Will you pray with me? Will you step into this place with me? Uh, it's absolutely fascinating because the word for, uh, what happens with Jesus in this moment is the word agonizo and agonizo means to enter into combat, to step into a place of battle. When we pray, we are not just speaking into the atmosphere. We're not just lifting up words into the ether. We are going to battle. The scriptures say that the angels of God in Psalm 103, it says that the heavenly hosts listen and obey the voice of his word. When we put God's word in our mouths and when we pray it back to him, I believe that the armies of heaven go into operation on our behalf and on behalf. They, they're, if we could just glimpse it for a moment, we would be absolutely amazed to see what is happening as a result of the prayers that we pray. We are going into battle. 
It is an act of spiritual warfare when we choose to praise God, when we choose to lift up our voice to him. The scriptures say that when God arises, his enemies are scattered before him. When we lift up the name of Jesus, it draws mankind to him. When we pray, we are at war. And Jesus understood this in this moment. The Bible says that the pressure came upon him in this incredibly pictorial Jewish way at precisely at the plate, the olive press, this place where olives would be pressed for the substance of what is within them so that what is within could come out. Pressure needed to be applied. Pressure needed to come upon it. We often don't, don't recognise the pressure that comes with privilege. We often want something, but we are never ready for the pressure that will come with that. And, you know, great power does bring great responsibility, like Peter Parker let us know. But great responsibility also brings really great pressure. Great pressure comes upon us. And here we see Jesus in the midst of a garden dealing with this pressure, dealing with this pressure. He's facing this inescapable pressure. Do you feel that pressure right now? I mean, we have fake news all around us. We have uh, to balance whether or not we choose to believe one person's statement over another, decisions on what to do around uh, uh, vaccines, whether or not to gather again, not to gather. I get the opportunity to speak to church leaders all over the place. And, and there's been so much pressure. There's pressure if you do speak out. There's pressure if you don't speak out. There's pressure if you tow the party line. There's pressure if you decide to lift your head above the parapet about something. There is pressure to respond to things quickly and in the appropriate way uh, to the point of paralysis. Pressure can often cause you to stop rather than to move. We've all heard the phrase, haven't we, that pressure creates diamonds and that's true but pressure also creates divorces pressure also causes people to walk away from their calling pressure also stops people from fulfilling the call of God on their lives and what is so important is learning how we process the pressure it's learning how we process what we're feeling coming upon us and coming against us because the same pressure that a chiropractor or a masseuse would use against you is the same pressure that a martial artist could use to kill you. It's all about how that pressure is channeled and how that pressure is used. And what we see with Jesus is in this moment where most people would fall apart and be crushed under the pressure. Jesus is able to turn the pressure to a place of praise. He is able to turn it around and bring himself back into a place of ultimate surrender, into a place of surrender. And um, I love it in uh, in uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about a different kind of pressure. He basically agonizes over other pressures. He says that um, he talks about being in a place of absolute despair, in a place of like not being able to carry on. The great apostle Paul, he talks about coming to him in, in, in fear and trembling. He uses his word phobos and tromos. These Greek words are, are talking about uh, where we get the word phobia. Essentially, the root of it means to be paralyzed and 
trauma. We get the word trauma from that. And he's feeling all of this pressure. And yet God uses him so powerfully in the midst of that pressure. We don't really have time to to go there right now. Jesus is in this moment and pressure is coming upon him. The Bible says so much pressure comes upon Jesus that he begins to sweat drops of blood. Have you ever been in that place where you feel that so much pressure upon you? Jesus knows what that feels like. And if the blood of Jesus is for our redemption and for our restoration, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice right now, when you are struggling under the pressure of depression, mental health issues, the uh, flirting with ideas of suicide and uh, feeling like you just can't go on. Jesus knows exactly what you're feeling. I was in that place uh, during my teens and that that sense of just feeling like I just cannot carry this anymore, really genuinely being at the end of your rope. Jesus knows what that feels like. He sweat drops of blood from his head so that we could be free in this space, so that the neurological pathways of our brain could be filled, could, could be washed with the blood of Jesus and we could be set free. And in this incredible pictorial place of a Gatshamanim, Jesus shows us how to turn that pressure back to praise. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. So really, one of my this my first point really is what can you turn back to praise right now? What are you going through right now? Maybe you've been crying out and you've been saying, God, would you just take this away? Will you take this away? Will you take this away? And God's saying, I want this to bring you before me. I want you to know that my grace will be sufficient. My strength outworking in you is more than enough for you to deal with this. But I'm not just going to come along and take it away. I am going to show you how to push against the pressure because it is the pressure. It's the resistance that causes our muscles to grow. I know I don't look like it, but I I have the... um, I, I get to go to the gym. I've got a personal trainer who's part of our our church and he's constantly putting more pressure on me whether it's through repetition or whether it's through raising the level of the weights that I'm putting pressure against and it's that pressure that causes the muscle to grow and God wants his church to grow up tragically many of us we only grow old we don't grow up and God wants us to grow up into what he has for us he wants us to step into that place and real power flows from obedience. Real power in our lives flows from a place of surrender. And Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And I love that when he refers to his father, God, during this moment, he uses the term Abba. I know you know this. I know you know that Abba is not just the name of a 70s disco band, but Abba is the Hebrew Aramaic word for dad, daddy. Abinu is the word for father and kids growing up, they couldn't pronounce it. The very first word that they would say would be Abba. It's not uncommon for you to find yourself, if you're in Israel, hearing kids going Abba, 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 Abba. In the same way as Dada, Papa is kind of like the first words that uh, most 
most toddler most small babies toddlers will begin to say much to the uh, <laughs> much to the pain of mothers who have carried them and done so much for them more often than not a baby's first word will be dada exactly the same in hebrew and aramaic and so jesus in his darkest moment has not lost faith in the character and the nature of the overwhelming limitless love of his dad and he comes to him based on that on on that level of relationship and he says not what i want but what you want and then we know the story he goes through this uh, incredibly difficult time and uh, he he is taken to an illegal trial he's punched and bruised and beaten he's dragged before pilot Pilate then sends him off to be scourged. Most people died from a scourging. You know, most historians would say that when somebody was scourged, you could often see ribbed bones through the ribbons of flesh that have been ripped from their back. It was so intense, that level of punishment. It was often reserved really as just a form of, of torture to the death. Jesus faced that scourging and then he's forced to carry a cross and he's marched through the streets and he's spat on and he's ridiculed. This is Jesus in his glory. This is Jesus facing and he knew that all of this was coming. And then we see this incredible moment and he falls and Simon of Cyrene, this, this man from North Africa, is brought alongside and is forced to carry the cross with Jesus. And what an incredible picture that is, the innocent carrying the sins of the world alongside a guilty man who believes that he is innocent, trying to help a man that he believes is guilty and has been condemned. And I find it fascinating that the God of all of the world, the maker of heaven and earth, would stoop to the level of saying, I want you to help me carry the burden. I want you, Simon. I will acquiesce to needing you. There are so many things that although God is omnipotent or powerful, able to do, he chooses to relinquish that, not responsibility, but relinquish his power to be able to do that because he wants to do it in communion with us. To the point of allowing himself to be born of the Virgin Mary, allowing himself to need uh, the, 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 the 12 disciples who, let's face it, had failed in so many different ways. I mean, goodness me, they were not picked because of their uh, qualifications. They, they were unqualified. They were unskilled. They were dysfunctional. Peter, cut off somebody's ear, for goodness sake. You do not do that kind of thing if you've had a normal upbringing. These were people who had never made the grade, and yet Jesus chose them. And that gives me so much hope because it means that he can choose me, he can choose you. And he chose Simon in this crescendo moment. And Simon carried the cross with Jesus. And you know what? You are called to carry the cross with Jesus. I am called to carry the cross with Jesus. That weight that was on his shoulders that cut into his back that had been torn for the sins and the sickness of this world. By his stripes we've been healed. That weight that came on Jesus 
in one level comes on us as well. It falls on us to carry his mission and to step out into the here and now, to stand up for justice, to speak out for those that don't have a voice to speak out. It falls on us to come alongside Jesus and grab a hold of that rugged cross and keep walking and keep moving and keep going forward. And I believe that God's calling us in his church to step into that place again and to step into this cultural moment, this moment and say, yeah, Jesus, I'll carry you across. The call that Jesus gave to his disciples saying, take up your cross daily and follow me is still just as true to, uh, for us. We love the promises. We love the uh, the idea that we can walk in the miraculous. And I believe in that 100 percent. But those promises are made to disciples. Those promises, the promise of Pentecost came after Gethsemane, came after the cross. The promise of the filling of the Holy Spirit comes when we surrender, lay down our lives so that we can find our lives so that we can say like Paul said it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me the life that I live I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that's the kind of church God is looking for a surrendered church a church that can turn the pressure back to praise a church that can allow that pressure to bring us to our knees not to cause us to run in the other direction but that brings us to our knees And it brings us to that place of surrender. It's been said many times before, but fire falls on sacrifice. We're called to be living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we are called to be living sacrifices. And when we crawl up onto the altar, that's when the fire falls. If you want your life to be filled with the fire of God, we need to step into that place of surrender. I love the stories of revival. Evan Roberts got to the point where he he was so surrendered to the will of God that he had lost the desire to eat or drink. That you know that prayer to him had become as real and as uh, as normal as the very breath that was entering and leaving his lungs. And as a result of that that prayer, that level of surrender, we know the story in 1904. Wales is swept up into the fires of revival in such an incredible way that over the course of just a short uh, few months, 100,000 people come into the kingdom and crime is just there's there's no crime. And the police don't have anything to do because of the level of surrender of the people of God to that moment. But it all began with pressure. It all began with disappointment. It all began with that moment of, I just don't know if I can carry on, but not my will, but your will be done. And then it moved from there to a place of saying, yeah, I will carry the cross. And that as that happens, the next thing that we notice is that Jesus nailed to the cross, his blood dripping into the cursed dust to bring redemption to the world itself. All creation is groaning and longing for us to step into the revelation of this so that we begin to lay claim to this world and begin to see the world itself healed, begin to see geography healed, ecology healed, uh, begin to see the, the earth itself come into the place where it will be covered with the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. Jesus blood dripping into that dust and offering up his spirit. He says it's finished. And then in that moment, the scriptures say this in John 19, 34, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear and it brought a sudden flow of blood and water. 
Now, the medical professionals will tell us that that was because Jesus's heart had exploded within him. And that was what was separating, separating out, causing the blood to congeal and separating the water and the blood apart. Now, there's prophecies in the Old Testament that say that not one of Jesus's bones would be broken. And uh, and the reason why the why this, the soldier pierces Jesus's side is because the so that his knees wouldn't be broken that would have caused death to come straight away on the cross because his lungs would have been would have collapsed under the under the weight now i believe 100% that if the church of jesus christ the body of christ in the earth if we would allow our hearts to break with the things that break god's heart if we would allow that uh, that pressure to cause us to not implode but to explode and to actually allow our hearts to be broken with the things that break his heart or something like we grew up singing a lot. Uh, if we were to allow that to happen, I believe there would be far fewer fractures and broken bones within the body of Christ. We live in a time where churches are splintering all over the place. Many churches didn't even survive the pandemic, tragically. And churches are now gathering again, but they're arguing and feuding over all kinds of different things. And tragically, churches are splitting all over the place. And sometimes, don't hear me wrongly, sometimes that is needed. But I believe that if we were allowing, if we allowed ourselves to really major on what God majors on and what is important to him and to his heart, instead of focusing on what God whispers about. I'm not saying that they're not important, but there are far more important things that we should be focusing on. The world dies while the church is asleep in the light. We need to wake up. We need to let uh, the, the the love of God that the scripture says has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We need to allow it to break us just like Jesus allowed that love to break him, just like he allowed it to break him. And as we do that, I believe we're going to step into a place of power like we've never seen before. Only love can make a miracle. It's only when we begin to move with compassion that we're going to see God do the things that we've been crying out for. We're crying out for a great awakening, for another powerful move of the Holy Spirit in our generation. I'm living for that in so many ways. But it's going to—it's not about God rending the heavens and coming down anymore. That's not our prayer anymore. Why? Because the heavens are here. The heavens within us now. And it's about breaking something here and the spirit of God coming out, not coming down. The same way that that veil was torn in the temple and God said, essentially, I've, I'm changing my address. I don't want to live in a palace built for me out of Corinthian marble and overlaid with gold. And, you know, one of the wonders of the ancient world. God said, that's not where I want to live. Do you know where I want to live? I want to live in you. I want to live in your heart. That's where I want to live. And, and, and everywhere we go, we are a gateway a portal to another dimension. We get to carry open heavens with us everywhere we go. But you know what? Those heavens are never going to break out if we don't allow God to break our hearts. If we don't allow ourselves to feel the pressure, turn it back to praise, get on our knees in obedience and allow it to break us. Because the great news is, is that God doesn't leave us in that place. He brings us into a place of resurrection. 
Jesus stood before that temple and he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they're like, what are you talking about? It took our it took our forefathers 40 years to build this temple. But Jesus wasn't talking about that temple. He was talking about the temple of his body. He was talking about the fact that that was what the culmination was going to be, because you cannot step out and stand against injustice and do the kind of things that Jesus did without it drawing attention. And my goodness, if the church would act in that same way, that we would not be on the peripheries of society, everybody would take note. And Jesus ultimately is taken and he says, he's saying, you're going to this is this is what's going to happen. They're going to kill me. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. Do you believe this? And this is the word that he speaks out to us. Do we believe it? Do we believe that if we step into this place and truly surrender, that Jesus will bring us out the other side? Do you believe that you're going to come to that place? Or is the world ultimately a dark and cold and difficult place? Is the world ultimately full of hopelessness and despair and despondency? Or is it actually that resurrection is happening all around us in the light and the colours and the beauty and the things that we see around us and the in the laughter of a child in the sunrise and the beauty that we see resurrection is happening everywhere and I want to speak to you coming out of this moment everyone within the sound of my voice I believe that we are in a season of resurrection and I want to speak to dreams that have died and hopes and visions and prophecies that have been spoken over your life that you feel like they are dead and in an empty dusty tomb God is about to bring some resurrection. There are still things for you to do, places for you to go, things for you to to accomplish. There is still so much that God has. And he's saying, I'm about to cause oil to flow. I'm about to cause the, the presence of my spirit that was in you, that first love that you felt, that first fire that you felt. I'm about to breathe on it and I'm about to bring some incredible moments into your life. So let it be awakened within you. Come out of that grave. Come out. Get out of those grave clothes and begin to live again. It's time to rise up. It's time to step into that resurrection power. It's time to move into everything that God has for us. He is alive. He's not in the grave anymore. They didn't see that coming, did they? And I think the world is about to say, oh, my goodness, we did not see that coming as the church steps out of this season where it's felt a little dormant, where it's felt a little bit quiet, where it's felt a little bit hidden away. We're about to come out with a bang. So may you step into that place. May you allow that pressure to turn to praise, to bring you to your knees, to allow your heart to break so that ultimately you step into the resurrection life that Jesus has for each and every one of us. Lord God, we thank you so much. God, that you're for us, you're not against us. We thank you, Jesus, that you've shown us in such an incredible way the process of pressure, the process of what you uh, have for us and the potential of pressure, the potential that comes when we allow you to do what you want to do. Thank you, God, that we are being refined like gold in the fire. Thank you that we're going to step out of this, Lord, into greater measures of your glory. And I pray for Proximity Church, that their proximity to you would be overlapping and that heaven and earth would just come colliding into one another, Lord. And that would be said of them that this is the house of God 
the very gate of heaven, that they would see you move during this time like never before. Thank you, Jesus, that your story is our story and that you invite us in to be an amazing part of that narrative. So God, I pray right now for everybody that is uh, juggling those pressures and feeling that pressure right now and trying to do it in their own strength. God, I pray that they would be able to surrender to you and see healing come, see your presence break out in all kinds of amazing and beautiful ways in Jesus mighty name. God bless you. Thank you so much, Proximity Church. Love you guys. Love you. Can't wait to see you again. Uh, God bless you and look forward to meeting up again soon. Thank you.